All right, you can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Um, man, I'm really excited about today. I hope you are uh, excited about being here. Uh, a couple things that's going to happen today. We get to celebrate about three people, I think, three people who are about to get dunked, um, get baptized. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, we are excited to share their testimony, uh, but not just that, but then also celebrate what they are professing. Um, so when we do baptism, baptism is an opportunity where you profess pretty much the love that you have in your heart for Jesus. And not just that, but what he has done in your life, the fact that he has taken you from death to life, and now you are a new person, and now you get to walk it out for people to see um, and to witness the work that the Lord has done in your life. And so we get to celebrate that in those three people's lives. And if you are here and you've been following Jesus and you haven't been baptized, and you want this opportunity to share with your family and your friends, to let them know uh, what the Lord has done in your life, please uh, uh, use that opportunity. So let us know. You can shoot us an email, or actually you can go on our website, and you'll see there's a link for baptism where you can sign up, and we'll meet with you and talk with you, and then set you up for that. Um, so we're really excited about that. I'm excited about being here today. Um, yes, I hope you are because, I mean, we just pretty much sang the song to talk about this is why I thank the Lord for what he has done in my life. And so whenever we gather on Sundays, this is kind of like our celebration, right, for the work that the Lord has done in our life throughout the week, but then ultimately what we get to live out every single day. So when we get to church, when we come to church, it's kind of like you go to a football game or a basketball game. The Dolphins lost yesterday, so it's kind of sad, so it's a bad example. But if you go to a game, you celebrate, right? You celebrate your team. But then we come to church, we're like, oh, you know, it's not that exciting, right? No, we're celebrating the victory that Jesus has over sin and death. And so this is what we get to celebrate every time that we come. Uh, so welcome if you're new to Blueprint Church. My name is Carly and I serve as one of the pastors here. And so we are excited that you are here with us. Um, and so uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the text that we are in for today, pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Right. So today uh, our text is Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 through 24. Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 to 24. It says, for I want you to know brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted the church, uh, God's church, and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the tradition of my ancestors. But when God, I love that, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately consult anyone. 
I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the region of Syria, to Cilicia, and remained personally unknown to the Judean church that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Father, I pray that you would bless this word today. I pray that it would encourage us. Lord, as we sit and listen to the work that you have done in a man's life named Paul, Lord, I pray that we can celebrate that same transformation and the same work that you have done in our lives and also in the lives of these people that we're about to celebrate today. Lord, your power is what changes us. And just like we just read in this text, it's not human origin, it's not human source, but it's your power that changes us. And so that is what I'm asking for today, that your power will work in me, your power will work in us, and do the work that only you can do to transform our hearts, encourage us, convict us where we need to be convicted. And Lord, for those who may be dead spiritually, that you would have a resurrection in their lives. You would make a resurrection in their life, that their eyes would be open and they would see the beauty of your gospel. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24, right, is our text. And last week, Dahadi gave us this introduction to the book of Galatians. And so if you are new, we are in this study on the book of Galatians, and we're going to be in it for a very long time, probably up until Easter. Uh, but if you miss any of our sermons, you can always go online or on Spotify to catch up so you can kind of know where we are. But today we're going to be continuing in chapter one, and we're going to look at this section where Paul is addressing false teachers in their teachings, false teachers in their teaching and the teaching that they've been preaching throughout the churches in Galatia, leading people to believe that Jesus Christ alone is insufficient for salvation. So Jesus Christ alone is not enough, right? It's not enough, right? But Paul, when he started these churches in Galatia, because he was the church planner, he was the founder of these churches, about five churches in the region of Galatia, this place where there was predominantly non-Jewish people, the message that Paul was preaching was, all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. This was the message that was Paul's gospel, right? All you need is Jesus. And this message was very different from Paul's uh, legalistic roots because Paul was a Jewish religious person. And so he had Jewish roots. And so this message is radically different from what Paul used to believe. He used to believe that right, you can be right with God by following Jewish tradition, 
or you need to be, uh, uh, you need to follow Jewish laws, or you need to follow all these lists of rules and rituals to be right with God. That was Paul's original gospel. But then now, after meeting Jesus, this gospel changed, where now his gospel is all you need is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I think this is a message that is relevant to us today and to our churches today. While we may not say explicitly that Jesus is not enough, our actions sometimes imply that we don't believe it. You may not say it, but the way that you live every day implies that you think you need something else other than Jesus. Sometimes we act like we need to supplement our salvation with action, with efforts, right? And our own efforts now becomes what we truly believe makes us right with God. And so the essence of Paul's teaching was that our efforts really don't determine whether or not we are right with God. Jesus alone does that, right? Jesus alone does that. There's nothing that we can add to the finished work of Christ on the cross, Christ alone. But these Jewish leaders taught that Paul's message was too simple. And so when Paul left Galatia, after planning the church and being with the church with these people for about three years, he leaves Galatia and these Jewish people came behind him and started teaching a different gospel. And they were saying that Paul's gospel is too simple. Too simple. They were teaching that, listen, it can't really, it can't be that simple to be right with God. It's not that easy. It takes work. You got to put your effort into it. And it's definitely not free. It's definitely not free. And I think that is our inclination because we often believe that nothing in life is free. Right? I remember one day I got this letter in the mail. And in the letter was a key. Right? And this letter said, you have won a car. Free car. Just come to the dealership and you have a free car. And I'm like, really? <laughs> right? And so in my mind, I was thinking, what's the catch, right? What's the catch? Like, am I going to go over there and then you're going to tell me, hey, you won this car, but you got to fill this out. And then I get a bill later. Or is this car stolen, <laughs> right? Like, I'm going to drive it off the lot and it's going to break down on me. Like, what's the catch? That is our human inclination. Because it's hard for us to believe that there are things in life that is free because we believe that we have to earn it. We have to work for it because we don't really believe there are things that are that simple, especially things that are expensive to be free. Salvation is very expensive. How could God give that away for free? Look at all the ways that I've sinned. Look at all the ways that I've screwed up. Look at all the ways that I've turned against God. I need to fix it. It can't be that simple. I need to do more. I need to make some sacrifices. I don't deserve God's forgiveness until I prove it to him. I've sinned too many times. I've made these mistakes too often. I need to prove to God that I mean it this time. 
before I confess, I have to earn it. It can't be that simple. And this was what these Jewish leaders were spreading. And this is what they were teaching. It can't be that simple for God to forgive us and save us. We have to earn it. We have to earn it. We have to do some things. We have to sacrifice. We have to circumcise to prove to God that we deserve it. And so Paul hears about this teaching, and then he writes this letter. And Dahadi kind of covered it last week, and there was some strong tone that he used in his letter. He was saying that these, these false teachers need to be condemned, right? They need to go to hell. His words, not mine. And that was the tone because he saw how these people were being led astray by these false teachings. He had a strong tone towards the false teachers, but he had a lot of empathy towards the believers because he felt sad for them that they were exhausting themselves trying to be right with God. And they just kept feeling exhausted and tired, feeling like, man, I just, I, I just can never get it right. While God is saying, it's free. And Paul is saying, these false teachers should be condemned. But the problem that Paul had to face, and we see this in verses 11 to 24, is that these Jewish leaders were discrediting his authority, right? And so pretty much what they were saying is Paul really doesn't know what he's talking about. He really doesn't understand this gospel, right? And so they were trying to discredit his authority. And one of the ways that we know to discredit someone's message is to discredit their character, right? One of the ways that we know to make someone's message ineffective is to discredit their integrity, right? Kanye West had this album called Jesus is King. That is true. But his message is ineffective, even though it's true, when his character is inconsistent. And the same way for us, we can tell people about Jesus, but our message will fall flat if our character and our integrity doesn't match. Our authority, the authority of our message will not have power if we can discredit someone's character. And so this is what they were trying to do with Paul to discredit, discredit his character. The power of his message would not be effective if we can tell people that Paul is not qualified. And so these Jewish leaders were trying to make a mess out of Paul's character. Who is Paul? What are his credentials? Who gave him the authority to preach the gospel? Where did he study? Did he sit under any of these OG apostles, Peter, James, and John, who walked with Jesus? Like, who is Paul? They were questioning his credentials, and they were casting doubt to his message. And so Paul had to give this defense for his message. And this is what we're going to see, right? Paul had just become a new believer, and then after he became a new believer, God wrecked him, changed his life. And then after God changed his life, Paul was so passionate about the gospel, he went to plant these churches in Galatia. And then the only message that Paul had was, look at my life and look at my transformation. 
right? And then God used that message, that simple message of his testimony to spark a movement in Galatia, this place that was predominantly non-Jewish. So it's like if you just got saved and the Lord said, go to Turkey, because that's what Galatia is now, modern-day Turkey. Go to Turkey and you just got saved and preach the gospel to Muslims and people who are hostile towards Christianity. And so that was Paul. He just got saved, and then he went to this place that is non-Jewish, and he preached the gospel, and a movement happened. Five churches started because of that, right? And so we see here, listen, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have these theological training. You don't have to be ordained by some influential pastor. Your testimony qualifies you to preach the gospel. Your testimony is enough, and this is what Paul had, and this is all that Paul needed. His experience with Jesus, his life being changed under the power of the gospel was more true than any degree about Jesus or any textbook about Jesus, right? His life being changed by grace was the only message that he needed to preach. And that message radically changed a hostile environment. And so we could get so caught up judging ourselves or judging other people, whether or not they're Christian, based on what they know instead of who they know. Right? We sometimes decide if someone is spiritual or godly, or mature based on their knowledge, or their talent, or even their spiritual gift, rather than focusing on their relationship with Jesus. I remember it was a couple years after I just got saved, I met someone, and this person said to me, Carly, have you been baptized by the, by, by fire? And I'm like, no, that would hurt, right? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I've been baptized by water, but not fire. And they're like, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And do you speak in tongues? And I'm like, I have a tongue and I speak, I guess. Like maybe I do, right? They're like, no, no, do you speak in this heavenly language? Again, I'm like, I speak Creole, <laughs> right? So I speak another language. Yes, I do, right? They're like, no, Carly, like the gift of tongue is evidence of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues is what makes you really saved. Do you have that? I'm like, no, I don't. They're like, okay, pray with me. And so I prayed with this person. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. And I asked God to give me tongues and I said, amen. And they're like, go ahead, speak. I'm like, I, I can't, I don't know what to say. And they're like, okay, okay, let's pray again and pray harder. I'm like, I'm trying, right? And so I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. And then, amen, nothing happens. And so for a very long time, I struggled because I thought, man, something's wrong with me. Like, why don't I have this gift to speak in tongues? If this is what makes me save or the evidence of my salvation, why don't I have this gift? I'm like, God, give me this gift. God, give me this gift. And never got it, right? And so I struggled for a while to figure out, like, man, am I a Christian? And the problem with that was, I was believing in that gospel that this gift is what makes you safe. When the Bible teaches that the only gift of salvation is Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. 
the gift of all, uh, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you speak in tongues, amen. Praise God. That's between you and God. Praise God, right? But the Bible teaches that the only gift that truly makes you save is the gift of his son, right? The gift of his son. And so Paul will argue Jesus alone, Christ alone. Christ is sufficient in verses 11 through 24. And he's going to say, I may not have the credentials, but I have a testimony. I may not have these credentials, but I have a testimony that validates my message. Paul's transformed life is the greatest argument for the truth of the gospel. Your transformed life is the greatest argument for the truth of the gospel. Nothing is more effective and nothing is more compelling to the world about the gospel than your story of God's grace in your life. Right? What God has done for you is the evidence of God's power. Our testimony is the most persuasive argument for the gospel. And Paul wasn't ashamed to talk about his past because his past showed how great and powerful God's grace was towards him. And no one could question that and no one could invalidate what he has experienced. Okay, that was a long introduction, right? So we haven't even dived into the text yet, all right? <laughs> Verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, for I want you to know. If you had a pen or a paper or something to mark with, highlight that, circle it. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not human origin, for I did not receive it from human source. Man, I'm sorry. My wife kept saying, Carly, it's not pronounced human, it's human. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm Haitian, so I have, a, you know, some pronunciation issues. Uh, human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ, right? The first part of this verse, Paul says, I want you to know these religious people, had been spreading this rumor about Paul that he was not qualified to preach the gospel. So Paul says, I want you to know, is as if he's saying, let's set the record straight. Let's make this clear. I didn't learn about Jesus from secondhand information or secondhand knowledge. Paul experienced Jesus and encountered Jesus directly, right? Listen, a relationship with God is not something that we can learn or that could be learned. A relationship with God is something that has to be deeply experienced personally and directly. It goes beyond just learning about Jesus from your parents or from a pastor, right? And that's why Paul says, I was not taught this. He encountered Jesus for himself. There are two kinds of faith that exist. There's a religious faith and trusting faith. A religious, a religious faith is that faith that could be very passionate, very impressive outwardly, 
But inwardly, there's no transformation. That's a religious faith. But a trusting faith is that faith that's personal, ongoing, and it produces radical life change. That's trusting faith. In verse 13 to 14, Paul talks about his religious faith. And he gives us his religious background, and then it's like he's giving us all of his religious accomplishments. He's giving us his religious resume. And so if you want to know whether or not Paul is qualified, Paul is like, look at my religious resume. He says he was very passionate, so passionate that it drove him to literally destroy anything that didn't line up with his religious belief. He was so passionate about his religion that he was willing to destroy people's lives to honor his conviction. Similar to today, how we could be so proud, how we could be so passionate about our religion, so extreme about our conviction that it will lead us to hurt people, do things that are divisive, We could be so passionate and leave no room in our hearts for humility, empathy, or grace. Paul was so passionate about his religion, it led him to persecute God's church because he thought, this is what my religion is. And then he talks about how he advanced in Judaism, meaning that he knew the law more than anyone else. He studied the law more than anyone else. He can debate the law better than anyone else. He can preach the law better than anyone else. Paul knew a lot about God, but Paul really didn't know God. He knew a lot about God, but really didn't know God. And, you know, this is a very dangerous line that we can find ourselves walking where we believe in the right things and we can probably do the right things and maybe preach the right things, but there's no true submission and trust to the right thing. And we've seen that over and over and over again where people can do these things very well, do religion very well, master at religion very well, be very impressive with religion, but then there's no submission to the truth. And so we can have a lot of religion without an ounce of salvation. We can have a ton of religion without an ounce of Jesus. We can have a lot of outward demonstration of godliness. We can pray very well in public, right? We can can know all these theological things to say. We can be very active in church. We can serve. Listen, we can be so close to the cross, be so far from Jesus, We can be so close to the cross, but be so far from salvation. 
And so Paul wanted to show, listen, Christianity is not about what we do. It's about who we know and whom we are known by, right? And so the second type of faith is the trusting faith. And this is where Paul kind of gets to. He gives us his religious resume, but then he says in verse 15 to 16, okay, I've talked about all these things, the great things that I've done religiously. But then he says, but when God, but when God, whom from my mother's room set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. But when God, that but when God moment is a powerful and pitiful, pivotal moment in our lives. That but when God moment is that moment in our lives where we encounter Jesus, God steps in, he redirects our lives, he transforms us, and he reveals his son to us. That but when God moment is powerful. Have you had a but when God moment? There are people in our churches that's never had this moment. There are people who are raised in church that's never had a but when God moment. There are people who are raised in Christian homes that's never had a but when God moment. Have you encountered Jesus personally? And if you've encountered Jesus personally, your life will never be the same. That but when God moment is radically transforming So what is your but when God moment? What is your but when God moment? Look, in Acts chapter 9, we get to see Paul's but when God moment. Because in Acts chapter 9 verses 1, we see how Paul was radically transformed due to that but when God moment. In Acts chapter 9 it says, Now Saul, which was his name, before God radically transformed them, and then now his name is Paul, right? We see even his name was changed. His identity was changed, right? And so Saul, who used to be, Paul, who used to be Saul, now Saul, listen, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is who Paul was. He was a murderer of who? Christians, the people of God. But a religious man, a murderer, it seems inconsistent. But Paul was still breeding threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogue in Damascus so that he, if he found any man or women who belonged to the way, the way was the name that they gave to Christians back then. They used to call Christians back then people of the way. And so this is talking about Christians. He might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul was known to be a, for, known to be a ruthless person. Um, an, instant, or an incident happened where Paul dragged a disciple of Jesus 
and had people stone him in a courtyard. And this is what Paul did. And so Paul right now, he is going to the high priest and he's trying to get warrants to go find Christians and then to drag them out of churches, to drag them out of their homes and to imprison them and then to stone them. This is what's happening right now. So Paul goes and he gets this letter and then it says, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, knocking him to the ground. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then listen to what he says. Who are you? This God that he thought that he was worshiping, we come to find out that he has no clue who that God is. He says, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And this is not something that he learned. Because what he was learning, it was nothing like Jesus. It was a different gospel. And so when Jesus appeared to him, he had no clue who Jesus was. And so we see how there could be a disconnect from our religion to true faith. And so Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. That was Paul's but when God moment. When Jesus stepped in, where Paul should have been dead, Paul was on his way to commit crimes, to kill Christians. But God stepped in. When he should have been dead, God stepped in and redirected his life. God stepped in to reveal his son. Jesus found Paul. Listen, and this is the same place where Jesus finds all of us. Jesus finds Paul in his sin, but didn't destroy him. Jesus finds Paul turning his back on him, but didn't turn his back on him. Jesus finds Paul in his sins, but redeemed him and gave him a purpose. Jesus found Paul, a murderer, but, but was pleased to re reveal his son to him. And what that tells me is, and I think this should be an encouraging to all of us, is that God is pleased to radically change even the worst sinners. God is pleased. He finds pleasure in changing people. Listen, it pleased God to see murderers like Paul become servants. It pleased God to see adulterers like David become a man after his own heart. It pleased God to see a harlot like Rahab becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. It pleased God to see a woman possessed by demons become the first preachers of the gospel like Mary Magdalene. It, pre it pleased God to see the prodigal return home. It pleased God to redeem 
the most radical sinners and those who think that they are too far and done too much to deserve it. It pleased God to reveal his son to us and has nothing to do with what we can do. We can't earn it. And this is why Paul says in verse 11, if we go back to verse 11, he says, listen, that is not human origin. That is not human source. And pretty much what he is saying is it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense to human thinking. Because if it was us, Paul would be dead. Grace doesn't make sense. You being saved doesn't make sense. Salvation doesn't compute with human logic. Paul says, this is not human origin. It doesn't make sense for God to set us apart and to give us purpose. It doesn't make sense for God to call us by his grace when we have history in our past. It doesn't make sense for God to be pleased to reveal his son to us when we have shameful baggages in our lives. It doesn't make sense. Our minds will never be able to make sense of God's grace. God's grace. If you are saved, that's because it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Nothing about that makes sense. Nothing about that makes sense. You who are saved are a demonstration of God's power and grace. If you are saved, it's because you've experienced a but when God moment that you did not deserve that transformed your life. And if you're not saved, you're missing out. You're missing out. And if you're not saved and you think, man, I just need to get my life together first. I've done too many things that ah, just, I, let, let, me, let, me, let me fix some stuff first. Let me kind of inch my way towards God. You don't need to. Christ is sufficient. That but when God moment can transform anyone regardless of their past. And it's not because of anything that they have earned, but because we've placed trust and God's grace, and not on our own efforts. We're trying, we're putting it on our shoulders. When Jesus said, man, I put that cross on my shoulder. I carried it, and I died for you freely, so you don't have to. It's free. I want you to hear me. Don't domesticate the power of grace. Don't domesticate the power of grace and think that God's grace is not enough to handle your past. God's grace is not strong enough to handle your past. Don't domesticate the power of grace because Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is bigger than that. And this is why we put our trust in him and not in ourselves, because Jesus is stronger than our efforts. And this is why in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, Paul again kind of shares his testimony, and he says, right, and again, this is his message, right? Paul was a very simple preacher, 
Because he talks about, listen, I don't know anything. I just know Jesus crucified. That's it. Right? And this is a simple message. Paul's like, listen, I don't know much, which I think Paul does. Right? When you read his letters, it's kind of confusing. You're like, ah, oh, man, you're very smart, theological, right? But he does. But he likes to make the gospel very simple. And what he's saying, listen, notice how he doesn't bring any theological truth right now to qualifying himself. All he's saying is, look, look, at, look at my testimony. Right? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 8, he says, listen, although I have reason for confidence... And Paul had a lot of reasons to be confident because, again, he was a very religious expert in religion. But he says, although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, in my own effort, if anyone else think he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, come and show me. Right? Because he says, I have more. He's like, bet. You want to you, you, you test it? Let's see. What you got, what I got. Right? And he goes, he says, listen, circumcised. Who's circumcised? Well, no. um, <laughs> circumcised in the eighth day, he says. Right? Circumcised in the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He's like, I got that. The tribe of Benjamin. He's like, that's me. Hebrews born of Hebrews. That's me. Regarding the laws, I was a Pharisee, an expert in the law. Regarding zeal, man, I persecuted the church. Regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Blameless. You have to have some confidence to say that. Blameless. Then he goes on to say, but everything that was to gain, everything that I have done, everything that I should be proud for, proud of, Garbage, dung, he says, trash. But then he goes on, he says in verse 10, but my goal is to know him. But my goal, what I really want, is not to be the best preacher, is not to know the most theological truth, is not to be the most impressive religious person. But he says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. To experience the radical change that he makes in my life from death to life. To make me more like his son Jesus. To fellowship in his suffering. Everything that Jesus has experienced, like, I want to experience that too. I want to be just like him, even to the point of suffering, he says. How bad do you want to be like Jesus? And this is what Paul is saying. Even to the point of suffering, I want to experience Jesus, and I want to be just like him, and not just to know about him. And then he says, being conformed to his death. And even if it kills me, that's how much I want him. I want to dedicate my life to him, to knowing him. See, the confidence that Paul has, and this is the confidence that we are to have, is in that but when God moment. Not in anything else. 
the confidence that we have is in our testimony of knowing him, of knowing Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. The confidence that we have is knowing him and the power of his resurrection daily, how he is transforming our lives to make him more and more like him, being humble like him, being a servant like him, being compassionate like him, being merciful like him, fighting truth with grace like him, to be conformed like him, to have a radical life change. And this is the story that we have to tell. And this is the story of our message. This is our message. And this is what qualifies us, that you have a story. Your story is your gospel of what God has done in your life, the power of his grace and how it radically changed you. That is your message. And you have a message if you have experienced Jesus. And when people see our lives change, it gives credit to our message. When people see our lives change, it gives credit to our message. In the same way, when we have a message and it doesn't line up to our life change, it discredits our message. So what is your but when God moment? What is your but when God moment? Do you have one? Do you have one? And don't be ashamed of it. Things that God has rescued you out of, those are powerful, powerful demonstration of his grace. That's not something that we should be ashamed of. Paul was in a shame to talk about how I used to be a murderer. That's something I'll probably keep in the closet, you know, sweep under the rug. You would never know about that. Got bodies all over the place. Nah, I don't want you to know. But Paul's like, listen, I want you to know how deeply broken I was. And because of his grace, the power of his grace, and not that I've earned it because I don't. I deserve hell. But because of his grace and his love, he found pleasure. He found pleasure to intercept my life, heading towards hell, redirect it, transform it, and now I have a story to tell. And then listen to what Paul says in verse 24. Listen to what Paul says in 24. He says, when people hear this message, they will glorify God because of me. People will glorify God because of you when they hear your but when God moment, when they see the radical change that God has made in your life. People will glorify God because of you. And not because you are great, but because God's grace is great when they see what God has done in your life, that will be what qualifies you to be a preacher of his power, to have a message to tell how God is good and how we don't deserve it. And it's not something that we've earned, but it was free. And it's that simple. 
Father, I just want to pray over all of us. I pray that we would walk in that truth and that we will not, throughout our week, will not try to rest in our own effort because that will crush us. But Lord, thank you that you have taken that upon yourself, that you did what we could not do. You lived the life that we could not live. You died the death that we deserve to call us to yourself. So thank you for that. Help us to remember Jesus alone. Jesus alone is sufficient. But then that compels us to, to, to go and live and be, like Paul says, conform to the image of his son. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.